Hello and welcome to Uganda's Young Changemakers, a new podcast by United Social Ventures which interviews young social entrepreneurs in Uganda as they start their journeys creating change through their social startups. This week's podcast features Alan Kabale, one of the co-founders of Disability Employment Rights Initiative, or DERI. He's interviewed by Peter Jacobs, a student from York University who United placed with DERI to volunteer with over the summer. We hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the first of United's podcast. Um, so today I'll just do a little introduction about who I'll be interviewing. This is a man called Alan Kabale. Um, he is a law graduate from Makere University and he is the uh, director um, of an organisation called Derry, Disability Employment Rights Initiative. Um, and they are aiming to empower disabled people um, in Uganda society and take down the barriers that have held them back for so long. But before we go into um, the organisation itself, I think the listeners would like to hear something about your childhood. So what was it as a child that really shaped you and led you to become the leader you are today? Okay. Just like I said, I'm Kabale Alan, a Ugandan and a graduate from Akira University. Uh, currently I'm 25 years old. Uh, yes, growing up, uh, I'm from a family of five. But I wasn't born disabled. I, I, I got disabled at the age of uh, around three. Uh, by the time uh, I'm told, because by that time I was not understanding, but they narrated to me the story, my mom and other relatives, that uh, when I was around two and a half years, two years there, uh, I, I got sick and the, they had me a lot of injections, of which I still have the scars on my bums. So these injections, they had no means of uh, treating me properly, so they in a due course they, uh, destroyed my nerves. Uh, so I was at the verge of death. So my mom feared to see me dying before her. Then she took me to a nearby bush so that I died from there. So my grandma, because by then my mom and dad they got married when they are still young, and my dad was still staying with with his parents so that's where my mom was staying also so my grandmother was not seeing me so she asked my mom where is Alan and my mom had no proper explanations but as my ma- my grandmother went behind uh, to, 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 to 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 I think she, she, she was looking for something in the bush or I don't know whether it was firewood so she saw me there uh, they told me I'd stayed there for two days, but I was still living, but almost becoming lifeless. Mm. So she took charge of me. She took me to a place. Uh, she took care of me. She tried to treat, to nurse the injection wounds and all that. Yes, lucky enough, she saved my life. Mm. Uh, I became normal, but the le- I'd lost the legs because the nerves had gotten uh, destroyed. So that's how I became disabled. Mm. Um, so, so just quickly on that. So, your mother left you to die, basically, right in a bush. I mean, it's it's kind of it's a complicated situation. Yes. But that that is the bare bones of it. Mm. So that's quite a rejection. So how did you kind of looking back now, like how do you feel about that? What are the emotions around that? 
you see I, at first when I, I, I when someone when I had the story I was getting a bit mad about her hmm. but when they explained to me like she was kind nervous she she was because by she, she, they gave birth to me when they were still young yes uh, she was afraid so I, 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 I don't have much feelings towards that because they explained me the situation I'm now very okay because afterwards they showed me love Mm. They took care of me, mm. much as the time I spent most of my childhood time with my grandmom mm. because the treatment she gave me, I got more uh, 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 attached to her. Mm. Yes, so, but right now I don't have any issues with her. Okay, so going forward, you were raised by your grandma. Um, but so, how did how did things turn out in school? Yes. Um, I went to school. I, I at first uh, the school I went to, I started studying when I was a bit uh, older than the normal age where people start schooling. Because some people begin at the age of four or three. For me, I started schooling at the age of six because of what I went through. So at the age of six, I want I wanted to, to go straight to P one because in Ugandan education system we begin with baby and all that. Mm. But they told me no. If I go through baby class, I went. I started baby. Then I came to P one. Yes. I went through school with challenges, obviously, we, we, because I remember the first time at school, I told you I was, I was six, so uh, I didn't know how to use these public toilets because I didn't used to <laughs> using myself some and they clean up, mm -hmm. so I don't know how to use a toilet and all that, so I got at some difficulties because there were no toilets which could support me and even I didn't know how to use them, so my first days at school were quite, quite challenging. Everyone looking at you, you are different from them. You are the only person on crutches. And remember, these are kids. So they were kind, uh, discriminative. Yes. So it was challenging, but I, later on, I got used and they got used to me. Hmm. Yes. This were the challenges of steps, inaccessible buildings. Those were challenges along the way. And still, still some people were, some kids still. So was there a time, um, say in primary school, where you experienced directly institutional Kind of discrimination yes uh when i reached uh primary five mm. uh I, I was interested in uh leadership so i contested to be the head boy of the primary school luckily enough i went through but the school administration said no given his disability kids are stubborn you won't manage so even when i went i i went through an election we contested i i campaigned I invested in time and resources, mm. but uh, even when after winning, they told me, no, you won't manage. So they made the person that won to be the age boy, mm. and they made me the assistant. Wow. Yes. But when I was made the assistant, they, I performed so well to the surprise of the school administration. And when it came to primary six, they are uh, the ones who now encouraged me to stand, to contest again to be the age boy. So this time around, I contested. I won again. I became the prefect. Uh, so, so, so when when they first said that mm. you would be the assistant of the person you'd beaten, mm. you you had to kind of you had to face that rejection and you had to overcome it. It was quite quite disturbing psychologically. Mm. Uh, after no, knowing the, the fact that you can you can you can, you went for a position well knowing its responsibilities, mm. and you, people have showed trust in you. They have voted you and. These people who, maybe because the, because of the rigidities, they sidelined you, they take on another person who has not won. So it was kind of disturbing psychologically, 
and I saw to I saw some readers, but I wasn't helped. But I said let me prove them by working hard. So when I worked hard, they got to know that actually, regardless of my disability, I could perform. So you said you're interested in leadership. So ha- were there other examples in your school life, in your university life, oh, where you yes. where you ran for leadership? Yes, you see, from right from childhood, mm. I've always been a leader and I've liked being a leader. Mm. I would not want to be behind curtains. Mm. I want to be at the forefront, at the stage where people can see my capabilities and potential. So even when it came to secondary school, uh, when it reached to senior three, I contested to be the information prefect. You see, there was a vetting process which has to be done, and the men considered uh, your academic performance and your discipline to make you go through. When if you have a kidney record. They make you uh, eligible to contest through that vote, vetting. So I went through the vetting. I presented myself the vetting committee. They were very excited about it, and they they said, oh, "I can, I'm good to go." But now the chairperson, after the committee sat and they commented my name, when it came out to the list of eligible people to contest, my name was not where to be seen. I was like, "How come?" I went to inquire from him. He was like, "No, these are administrative issues." We, uh, we decided. So when I went to inquire from some of the committee members, they were like disturbed. They were like, no, he went through. So I had to stand out. I had to demand to know why exactly they were leaving me out. So they told me, you know, Alan, you see your disability, what? You don't manage moving up and down. You see, I was contesting to be information and library prefect. So it means I could put up for information and notice board, read news and assembly, um, open up the library to ensure that it's clean and all that to do with information. So they said that maybe the work is t- will be too much for you, even before giving me a chance to be tested. Mm. So I said no. I put them on pressure. I mobilized my colleagues, my fellow students then, and teachers who knew that yeah, they, they have seen me work before. So we we were we pushed we put them on pressure and they eventually allowed me to contest and I won out of the three we, we contested three on that position and I imagined the best I performed so well and they appreciated well yes so it, it does seem that when you face kind of discrimination you 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 work hard to fight it I've always not that, that's, kept that's your nature to fight yes. not this, to succumb the same thing happened at the university I went through my university uh, I contested the, I was in Mitchell Hall. So I contested to be a guild minister. Those are like representative of students mm. of that hall in the cabinet. So, yes, uh, you, you see in a hall where you are the only person with disability and you know university students are kind, stubborn and all that. So there are some activities university students do and maybe they thought I couldn't do the, the, those fights. So they wanted a leader who would lead them in fights and all that. So I was sidelined also when it came to that point. So that time passed. I said no. Let me look for another avenue of serving people. So I went for to represent people with disabilities. So we were six, I contested, and I won. So, and after winning, people had seen me previously being active in student leadership and all that. So even the, the, good, the good person who went through, I was not supporting him, but appreciating my past record, he appointed me to be a good minister. So I've always tried to, I've proved people wrong. Mm. I've always worked to to change people's attitudes towards people with disabilities okay. and towards myself specifically. Okay, so you've given us a story of rejection and discrimination, but you've also given us a story of hope because you've managed to overcome those barriers that have been placed in front of you. But is your story typical? You know, like, 
have other disabled people suffered from similar discrimination to you in Uganda and have they been able to overcome it? What what have you heard? You see, for me, I'm, I'm kind of a little lucky mm. uh, that uh, my dad attained some education. So he's kind of liberal. He, he, he was kind of understanding. And even having grown up from maybe somehow, we, we, and my later age uh, from from around the eight, I was in a town setting, small town setting. So at, at this point, we're understanding. But other people like me are in dire situations. They they are even kept in rooms. They are locked up in rooms. Even when visitors come, they don't want them to see that there's a disabled person around. So people, other people, face worse situations compared to me. And that's because uh, when so I was are those people in rural areas. Even in town, mm. even in town, yeah. there are people, uh, we, we've seen stories on radio, uh, on TV, we have had them on radio, even personally, because I'm very inquisitive, I visit, when I hear some such stories I visit, and even in our leadership, different activities we do, we face, we interface these challenges. People are being discriminated, people are being mistreated. They, you see, in, in Africa, sometimes, giving birth to a person with disability is regarded as a curse. Maybe you wronged some person and they cast you. Maybe there's something, eh? maybe it was it was some kind of witching. Some people have that mentality. Mm. Yeah, so when they, to see you have a person with disability at your place, maybe they or what, they tend to, and when it comes to physically disabled, the crippled ones, oh, the situation is heartbreaking. So there's still very much a belief that if you're disabled, mm. it's because there's some sort of curse yes. around you. Mm. Would that be a commonly held view? Yes, uh, at a high percentage. Mm. Yes. So, but now, with this kind of uh, exposure and all that, slightly people are changing their attitudes, but those are in town settings. Okay. But when you come to remote areas, it's worse. People are tied on ropes as if they are goats in Uganda. Wow. PWDs, they are kept behind the house. They don't want people to see them. Mm. They don't go to school. Mm. So why do you think there's this um, uh, this difference between town and rural settings? Why why do rural settings tend to discriminate more against disabled people compared to the more urban settings? Uh, this is because uh, in town setting, there are a lot of exposure. There's a lot of advocacy, there's a lot of uh, civic education in communities. Yes, these people have access to information. Unlike in village settings. Village settings, some, these people are just, uh, they are too much tied in uh, cultural beliefs and all that. They're not exposed. That some of them even have not seen people go to school. Hmm. It's worse still even, even when people, does, uh, people without disabilities. There are some villages which stop girls that some family settings they even stop girls from going to school like a girl child is supposed to be in, in the kitchen to prepare yes but now when it comes to people with disabilities it's worse just imagine if they can stop a girl from going who's who doesn't have any disability but because of their mindset they stop them what about a person with disability so lack of exposure in the villages mm. uh day cultural practices and also poverty Yes, they contribute to such kind of treatment towards people with disabilities. So you've spoken a lot in our conversations about the esteem of disabled people. Mm. Okay, um, and I think you referenced your more liberal father. 
It sounds like he gave you some more esteem. He made you feel that you were worth something. Yes. Do you think for a lot of disabled people it's an esteem issue that stops them breaking into society because they feel worthless because their parents reject them and say yes. they're not worth anything? Yes. Is that the case? Yeah, yes. Uh, you see, uh, the society where I go from contribute a lot to our personalities eventually. Mm. So if you have grown up from a setting where you are discriminated, where you, you, you are not seeing, you, you, they don't see your worth as a human being, automatically it will affect your esteem. You always be there lamenting, agonizing, self-pitying, because that's what they have brought you up through. So the esteem is as a result of the way you've grown up and the practices, the environment around us. Mm. So in that regard, most people with disabilities, since they come from very poor families, uh, many of them are from remote areas, uh, they have rigid cultural practices, rigid uh, caretakers, their esteem is very low, mm. and they don't have exposure. Low education, yeah. no job opportunities, Everything okay, <laughs> it's a mess. So this is a nice segue into what you have now given your life to. Okay, so you're talking about the, the various barriers that disabled people are facing. Mm. The question is, what are you doing about it? Okay, you started this organization, Derry. Mm. So talk to me about that. What What's the aim? What What When did it come about? Okay, wh who do you do it with? Like, okay, why Derry? Okay, thank you for that question. Just like earlier uh, you you told I told you about my history of being sidelined being discriminated at some point. Uh, I Even from childhood, I wanted to become a lawyer. Mm. Because I used to follow current affairs on radio, politics and all that. So, and they somehow opened up my mind and I strived to be a lawyer. So I worked hard to excel academically. I, by God's grace, I went on to university on government sponsorship. I did my dream course, which is wrong. So at when I was still a good means at Macquarie University, I had a lot of interactions with people with disabilities, both within and outside the university. And these people could come to me thinking that I have more connections to lead them to jobs and other opportunities. Mm. And uh, even when those people had already graduated, they'd like to what to do. So in the law course, there's what we call employment or labor law. So when I did that labor law course, I did human rights. So, they opened my mind. They opened my mind to the rights of people with disabilities, uh, especially the, the code, uh, chapter 4 of the Constitution, talks about those rights and equal treatment for all without discrimination, talks about affirmative action, talks about economic rights. So I got exposed to them and I appreciated the fact that, actually, if you advocate, if you create spaces, even people with disabilities can be included in job opportunities available. So, given the fact that I've done economic employment law, I've done human rights, I've been a leader of people with disabilities, I said I should do something. So, uh, I had a friend of mine, uh, he was, he, he's called, he's, not I had, I have, mm. he was and he's still, my friend is called Alex, he's visually impaired, if I'm to say he's blind, totally blind. So, and we are both in the same class, law school. So we said, what, why can't we come up with something to bridge a gap, to, to do something about employment of people with disabilities? 
so that's that's how the idea came about and we had the support of the lecturers okay. uh, so when we brainstormed about the idea we said we tried now to devise means of how is it realized how do we practically carry out our dream yeah so originally it was it was disability rights initiative right? yes so what so what was the vision back then what what were you looking to do yes you, you see when, when I shared it with Alex we also had other colleagues from law school who were not disabled who had no disability so they had they picked interest now in ideas that we shared with them uh, so they came on board even some some of them had finished university so they came on board uh, and we were, we, at initially we were to do rights generally but now we saw that we could not make impact if we are broad wanted to narrow our scope of operation and also target given our expertise experiences and also uh, our our special interest so we said now we will not do all rights but let's touch the most pressing issue of a person with disability because in life you can't live when you don't have a source of living if you you, you are not sure if you are not able to meet your needs and the only way to meet your needs is when you earn something mm. so he said let, let us work on the incomes of people with disabilities let us work to see that these people get what to do whether formal or informal by helping them work on their livelihood source of income these other rights can be realized because you see rights are integrated interrelated and interdependent once you realize one right you may end up realizing other rights so that's why we said let's work on employment rights these people will be able to have right to health care they'll be have they will be able to have right to education you get right to this and other rights mm. so i said let's zero on employment rights okay so i uh, said that it, so that's why when we changed and we had the leo leo Henges yes yeah, so, so what was the role of united in all of this yes so when we share when we started our operations we opened up a facebook account uh we tried we started engaging people different people so leo saw us on facebook and was interested in what we do and our ideas so he looked for us we met and we discussed so by the time leo uh, spotted us we had been uh, in the process for around three months mm. yes three five months so uh, in brief i can say that dairy was started with leo okay. yes so we, we, uh, we because even coming up with the dairy name we we were we had leo on board we discussed and he guided us on how to to go about dairy yeah, we have been together through registration processes mm. we have been together through getting even office of operation so yeah he has taken us through tutorials administrative uh, issues advocacy issues uh, and also uh, specific activities yeah okay so I th we'll touch a little bit more on United in a little bit but I just want to ask about a bit more detail about the activities of Derry Yes. So you've given me some of the vision you want to see to save people employed. Mm. But what are you doing to achieve that? Mm. What is Derry doing to realize that vision? Oh, if I if, if I'm I, 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 I'm to be specific, our vision is uh, uh, a strengthened and enlightened society 
advocating for equal employment opportunities and self-reliance of PWDs. Mm. And our mission is, we, we, we want to see a society with equal opportunities for all. But, but aside from the big vision, mm. what's the day-to-day? The day-to-day activities, mm. yes. Uh, we do capacity building okay. of people with disabilities. So, and this capacity building, uh, uh, it entails preparing people, the, the graduates, we keep them with skills, short skills, that can prepare them to get employed or be employable. We realize that after university, some people, many that are equipped with theoretical skills, okay. theoretical part of the, of the, their education. So, and they are going to the field, and some of them, they don't know how to speak before people, they don't know how to go about job interviews, that's where they feel about. They don't know how to write CVs. They don't know how to write application letters. So we will keep them with such skills. Uh, secondly, apart from capacity building, we also do skills development. In parts, different skills, uh, some are vocational and all that. Because our primary focus was on with equal opportunities for all. So. Just like these educated people want to earn a living, even the uneducated want the same PWD, people with disabilities. So initially you had a focus on university graduates. Yes. But you also see that there's a need for non-graduates. Yes. Um, I mean, in the work we've done, uh, we've discussed perhaps the fact that Derry has the best vision it can. It's, it's, it's looking in the right direction. But is it trying to do too much? Is Derry trying to do everything? And would it not be better to specialise? To focus in, maybe just on graduates? Because that is a good target group. But I'll let you come back. Okay, thank you. As I, I said, our focus initially was and is on people, on graduate PWDs. That's where even right now we are concentrating. Mm. But at some point, at some point, when we get someone who needs our help and is not graduated, mm. we help them, given we have the capacity and resource to do so. We, we don't close doors for them. But our primary focus, given our limited resources and also our capacity, is we are dealing with, apparently, graduate with disabilities. Okay. But as you know, we, 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 organizations, institutions, individuals, you have future plans. Mm. You have a wide scope that once I have this, I can do this. Yes. Yes. So how? So going forward, um, how does Derry perceive United? Is this is this a relationship that will continue going forward? United giving advice to Derry. You, you see, United is. We, I I can say, if I'm to be realistic, we we are what we are. Greatly because of United's contribution, mm. and uh, we we cannot leave United behind. First of all, we are youths. We are some are fresh graduates, and United is exactly that's its target group. Mm. Uh, its services are almost free of charge, despite the fact we give some small subscription. Mm. But if you are to equate the services they give us in monetary terms. They, they could be so much expensive. Mm. So we cannot, we, we even have never thought at one time of doing away with United. Yes, so our, our 
relationship is healthy, it's very promising, and you are just working towards strengthening it, strengthening the relationship. Okay, that's good to hear. Yes. Um, so looking forward to the future, um, five or ten years from now, where do you see dairy as being? What what impact do you see it delivering in Uganda society? How will things have changed? Will you still be in Kampala? How will your activities have developed? Okay. Uh, thank you for that question. Uh, as I said, our vision is to see a society with opportunities for all. And one of the activities of there is to work on the mindset so, or, and attitudes of the employers. So we are, we are seeing dairy having changed the mindset of employers uh, who appreciate the abilities and potential people with disabilities. So hence giving opportunities equally at uh, uh, like uh, opening up opportunities for people with disabilities without discrimination, without disciplining. So we are seeing dairy uh, helping so many people being absorbed into the employment opportunities or sector, okay. both private and public. So it seems that dairy, as well as building up the capacities of disabled people, is looking to reform the attitudes of employers. Yes. But the question is, how are you going to reform those attitudes? Yes. Uh, first of all, uh, dairy, we make research. Our, our activities are guided by facts and figures. Uh, so, and right now we are, we are, we are in the process of undertaking an audit uh, to see the working relationship, the, working, the employment patterns of, of patterns of people with disabilities to, to different uh, key employers. Mm. So we, we are identifying major employers in Uganda, private and public, so we are carrying out an audit to inform our basis for advocacy and uh, engagement. Okay. So once we have facts and figures, we present them to different stakeholders uh, to see with recommendations to see how best uh, how best people with disabilities can be employed, how best their uh, working environment at workplaces is improved, how best their capacity can be built. Yes, so uh, once you have facts, you have figures, and you're going to advocate or lobby. So these people, you make them appreciate. So this audit will basically be judging the right, the um, records of major employers in Uganda as to how they are treating disabled people. Yes. In terms of how many, mm. whether they have the right facilities, yes. um, whether they are given a proper environment to learn mm. um, and grow. So do you see this activity as being the focus of Derry going forward in the next five apparently, years? Apparently it is. Mm. And uh, we, are very, we, are very, we are very focused on this activity. Okay. Because it it informs our other coming activities. When we have a baseline, when we have a fallback position. Because at the end of it all, uh, uh, these findings from the survey uh, will be published. There will be naming and shaming. Uh, so we shall. This is the. It's going to be the cornerstone of our our breakthrough and also our impact on the society. 
So this audit will be the center yes. of various activities going yes. forward. Okay. Um, so I think what we've covered so far is your childhood, how you developed as a person, whether your story is representative of Uganda at large, the formation of Derry and its development as an organization, um, the role of United in informing your activities, and most recently, the ambition which going forward is to focus primarily on an access audit which can reform the activities of major Ugandan employers. So you've spoken about the formation of Derry as an organization and its vision, but a question that has to arise with any NGO or any company is what challenges has Derry faced and oh. how has it overcome them if it has? Okay. Uh, Derry, right from its inception, uh, we, 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 we have worked on a voluntary basis. We, we don't have any funding. So it's our personal contribution, commitment. Uh, so one of the challenges is funding. We don't have any external funding. And given the fact that the founders or people who are running daily are just fresh people from universities, even when they may try to get other their personal contributions from some small areas where they maybe work, they do work to get some their own money, the their source of income also is very limited, it's low. So if the runners of daily they have the some of them they are not even employed. Uh some of them are employed but they earn very little so that affects our activities hmm. so how has dairy funded itself yes dairy now we do some art craft as an organization and this is the money we use to maybe finance to rent we have charge of rent you know renting the company is very costly we also get money from our individual contribution alex brings uh, grace brings uh, different people contribute so if you get some support financially, it could be good. And also, uh, apparently, when it comes to office, it's a mixture of an office and art gallery. So we, we, we need maybe to get another office, something like that. Because as I, I told you when you visited us, where we rent right now, the owner of the house, the building wants his space. So that's a challenge. We are looking for another office, which is very hard to get. Uh, secondly, uh, you see some people have run away from us because we are working on voluntarism. So when someone is not earning anything, they're not motivated. So the motivation of some of our colleagues is very low because they're not earning anything. But for us, since we are the founders, we have the passion of impacting life with or without being paid. But uh, since we need other people on board, maybe other skills, accountants, we need to get a way of motivating them. So what is Derry's business model going forward? Like how is it going to generate the revenue it needs? Uh, first of all, we are making ourselves more visible uh, on ground. So the more we touch people's lives, uh, the more we, 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 we show our worthness, then I think we shall uh, we shall attract more, maybe even government support, because what we are doing is also helping government to solve unemployment, because it's a national challenge. Uh, uh, also, our, we, we are going to come up with other different projects, which will generate income. We are, in, we are going to intensify in our artwork, 
Also, they remember to do go to schools because we are building capacity, we are changing attitudes, we talk to people. They give us something, some money we use to run. So we are going to try to see that we strengthen ourselves, make ourselves more visible to attract uh, more clients, to attract, to attract funds. So if we, if out there they happen to get anyone who can support us, especially who has a feeling that people with disabilities need to be facilitated or supported in one or the other to get jobs, to have a, a better, decent life, we are welcome. We welcome such kind of support. But in brief, uh, our people, the challenges, they work on a voluntary basis. Uh, we, we don't have money to run many things because their office operational costs. We, 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 face, we face challenges, station and all those other things. Uh, also, uh, rent, uh, office space is a challenge. Yeah, Th those other challenges too. Because we have many projects at hand, but we don't have money to facilitate. I appreciate the fact that, you know, that not everything needs money, but at some point, you have to put in money. Maybe to make some movements to do advocacy too. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. To finish, I'd just like to ask you, what, what words of hope would you give to a five-year-old Alan or any five-year-old person of disability in Uganda who has suffered from discrimination from a young age, who has faced rejection and hardship and has been told that they are not good enough? and has been told that maybe they bring a curse on their family. What, what hope do you give to people of similar scenarios to you that actually they can rise up and they can change Uganda society? What advice would you give? Oh, thank you. That's quite a good question. Uh, you see, in life, we go through challenges. There's no smooth life even with people, other people without disabilities. But when it comes to us with disabilities, the environment, the people we live with, they add on our challenges. Uh, but one thing for sure, it also comes about you as an individual. How do you absorb those attitudes of people? How do you adjust to live within the unfriendly environment? How do you coexist with, with different people? So, personally, I, 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 first of all, if, if I meet a, a young Alan of five years, mm. I just make them appreciate the fact that, yes, you have a disability which will not go away from you. So, you have to devise means of living in a competitive and friendly environment. You have to develop mechanisms of proving to the people around you uh, to uh, to people you meet to prove them your worth your abilities they can never see or appreciate your abilities if you have not displayed to them if you have not proved to them if they discriminated me and I remained say I, I kept quiet I wouldn't have been where I am people wouldn't have seen my potential but once you are discriminated, yes, they have done so. But their discrimination is out of ignorance, okay. out of wrong perceptions on you. So it's you as an individual to prove them wrong. Yeah. That's what even I tell people when they visit us. 
someone is maybe you've gone to seek for a job opportunity just prove to them what you're going to add to their business their institution their company their ngo what do you have to offer different so prove to people that you have substance you have something to offer to society you have something to offer to your family to your workmates to your elders and it comes with because self-esteem yes we may talk to you too but it also comes to you as an individual to see your worth to appreciate yourself i've always have had a, a, a motto within me that's it's me to put myself at the front line if i want to sit at the high table people don't identify me from behind i have to gradually position myself to be worthy being put on the high table so a person whether educated or not we have equal opportunities and you have equal challenges with others so it's a matter of us and it's us you as an individual to find a way of uh bettering your lifestyle bettering your general life because this world we are living in is not sympathetic to us Okay, so yes. find a way to break through the ignorance of your peers and their attitudes. If you can break through that, then you can be strong. Okay. Okay. Um, so thank you for this podcast. This has been Venturing Through Uganda's Changemakers. Thank you, Alan, for your time. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to this first podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts about how we can make it better. So if you'd like to get in touch, please email hello at unitedsocialventures.org. If you want to find out more about United Social Ventures' work here in Uganda, you can go to our website, unitedsocialventures.org, and you can stay tuned for more podcasts. If you'd like to donate with us, don't, at least not yet. We have a crowdfunding campaign starting on Tuesday, the 27th of November, where everything you give will be doubled. So give then and you can find the link on our website. This podcast is produced by Media Challenge Initiative, a Ugandan non-profit which is building the next generation of journalists in Africa. Thank you for listening.